What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 73 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey as we're seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I think we can honestly say when the last podcast released, we had no idea what the next few weeks held. My goodness, it has been a whirlwind, hadn't it? I'm sure where you are is like where I am. We're entering a new normal Uh, something none of us are used to, a little more time out of the home office, a little more time with our families, which is a great thing, and hopefully a little bit more time to listen in to podcasts and to do some other things. So we're going to continue on putting out some great resources, and I think you're going to really enjoy today's guest. Today we get to sit down with former Major League Manager Clint Hurdle. At the age of 20, he was known as the Phenom, according to Sports Illustrated, a first-round draft pick, ended up playing over 500 games in the major leagues, managed for many years with the Rockies and the Pirates, accumulating over 1,200 major league wins. But behind all the stats and behind all the stuff and all the articles and all the stories, you find a man with a genuine faith, and I think you are going to be challenged, and I think you're going to enjoy. So I know in the midst of all this coronavirus craziness, which it is, keeping up with the news, maybe we can just get some normalcy. You know, when we recorded this episode, we were hoping that they would be getting ready to finish up spring training and heading to the heading to the uh, stadiums near you. But even though we aren't, we're going to reflect back on a little bit of baseball. So I think you're going to enjoy this time. So I want you to pull up a chair. And I want you to listen in to my time with manager Clint Hurdle. Coach Hurdle, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It means the world to have you, fella. Mike, I'm grateful and thankful to be here. Looking forward to it. Now, I know you had an incredible major league career incredible major league career been managing for years been a major league player when you were growing up did you see that's where you wanted to be was that in your sights even as a little boy it was in the crosshairs from the time i can well i can remember probably about five probably about five years old so yes it is i didn't want to grow up be an astronaut a doctor a lawyer fireman uh, growing up on the East Coast of Florida, spaceman, um, I wanted to be a ball player. So when did it? I know in high school you were touted as a phenom. I mean, you were you were the guy coming out, and you spent ten years in the big leagues. Did it turn out like you thought it would? What would give me a little evolution of that journey? Oh my gosh, no, it didn't turn out like I thought it would. Everybody, at least I had thoughts when I, I embarked on this journey. And it was probably in high school as a freshman. And back in the day, a freshman was a 10th grader for, in, in my generational span. Uh, probably the year I, I made the, the varsity team, I shouldn't say freshman, I was a sophomore. A ninth grade was still back in junior high. Um, 
we had a very good player who was being scouted by colleges and major league baseball teams named Waldo Williams. And it was after one of the early games of the season that we saw the scouts. Scouts were easy, identifiable. They had hats. Some of them smoked cigars. They had radar guns. Or they had, you know, a big clipboard in front of them taking notes. They weren't trying to hide by any means. They were there to watch. Um, but they were there to see Waldo. And being a 10th grader, I was just happy to be on the club. I felt I could play. I felt I could compete and I could help. And at one of the games, I had a big day. And it was kind of caught my eyes on Waldo's walking away. This is when scouts would cut me up with the player. As he walked to his car or walked to his parents, they could ask him a personal question. It was much more a fan-friendly or scout-friendly type environment. Um, as I walked out, they were talking to Waldo, and about half of them just dropped him and came over to talk to me. I was on the way to see my, my folks. And it was at that point I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, if if they're, they want to talk to me more than Waldo, maybe there's some interest in me. So in my sophomore year, I realized I may have a skill that could lead me to play, you know, my lifelong dream of major leaguer. However, once I embarked upon that journey, you know, in a quiet place in the back of my mind, I didn't just want to play in the big leagues. I wanted to be a Hall of Famer. Um, I actually, it was, I had a lot of eyes. I wanted to be, I wanted this. And I did want to win a world championship uh, with a team. I wanted to be a good teammate. However, you know, the first thing was I wanted to play in the big leagues. Yes, but I wanted to be in the hall of fame. I wanted to be really good. I wanted to be great. Um, as it turned out, even through a 10 year major league playing career, which proves there was endurance, there was resiliency, there was perseverance. I wasn't great. Um, you know, major league terms, average, um, in the terms of a lot of people way below average because of what the expected talent level was been. As you said, phenom, there was a cover on sports illustrated in March of 1978, where my picture was on the cover of SI and the, the liner was this year's phenom. Oh, that's a lot. Anything less than being great. You're going to probably come in below average. So at the end, my playing career, to a lot of people probably below average to me over the course of 10 years, I, I really dealt with a lot. I grew a lot, um, and I and I learned a lot. So, very fulfilling from some angles. Probably not fulfilling to a lot of other people in other angles. And to myself, uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda. There were some of those. However, once it was over, it was a new opportunity. You can't always choose your endings, but you have every opportunity to play a major part in developing your new beginnings. So and that's what I tried to do. So as you, you know, you incredibly successful high school career, go through the minor leagues, had you ever really dealt with adversity before? Is that something that you as a high school athlete had prepared yourself with or was dealing with adversity a new thing as far as on the playing field? It was a very new thing on the playing field. Um, I actually played all three sports sophomore and junior year had to give up basketball my senior year there just wasn't enough time I was an all-american quarterback uh, had athletic football scholarship offers to a number of schools I was a passer I wasn't a runner so it was prototype offense but I had loved Friday night didn't like Monday through Thursday a whole lot but loved <laughs> Friday night uh, 
And then baseball, I just love. Yeah. You know, baseball practice was practice. You know, you wanted to practice. You wanted to participate every day. It was something to do and something to learn. Um, baseball was my heart passion. It, you know, if I'm a dog, that's what wagged my tail. Um, football was something I was very good at. And there's actually some people to this day, when I go back to my hometown, tell me I was a better football player than a baseball wow. player. And, and I, I don't argue anymore. I just say, well, thank you very much. <laughs> and I move along. Um, but the adversity part of it, uh, really not any through high school. And then I got punched right in the mouth as soon as I got into pro ball. Small punch in rookie ball my first year in 75 in, in Sarasota in the Gulf Coast League. However, the next year, Waterloo, it was a complete first half fail to the point where I was fed up, uh, messed up mentally and far away from home. Uh, you know, a couple calls to my dad, pity calls, and there was no time for that for my father. He was awesome. Um, he didn't beat me up about it, but he just said, hey, you know, you went from being that, that big fish in a small pond here at home. Now you're a small fish in a big pond. You got to figure right. it out. There's only one playground. You know, you got punched in the mouth. I use this analogy today. It doesn't happen with sports anymore, but the first time a young man tastes blood, it gets his attention. Yep. And it actually speaks to what he's going to become because you either don't like the taste and figure out a way to get back on the playground if that's what you got knocked off of or the baseball field or the basketball court or the school room or the schoolyard, or, you know, you, you go the other way and you go home and you tell your dad, you want him to fight your fight or you complain and, or you just cower and, and stop. So the adversity was real. And unfortunately, uh, I needed to go through it. I should say, fortunately, I needed to go through it mm. because as bad a first half as I had, I had that good of a second half and it kind of, threw me into an HOV lane where I played one year, a ball one year, triple a, and it was actually rookie of the year in triple a or the MVP of the season at the age of 20 and got to the big leagues later that same year, at the age of 20 years, wow. one which did month. not happen back then either. That is very unusual. No, 20 years, one month and 19 days. I can remember it like it was yesterday. So it was a, it was an HOV lane to the major leagues. That's crazy. What did that adversity looking back on it now here in your, in your life? Now you've played, you've managed. What did that adversity do for you that nothing else could have? What did it show you about Clint hurdle? Nothing else could have. It showed me that I had guts and I had backbone. Hmm. Um, you know, we need bones. We need a wishbone. We need a backbone <laughs> and we need a funny bone. <laughs> we need so all good. three of those. Um, but it showed me I had guts, um, and I was willing to fight. And I was also willing to say, I'm not good enough right now. What can I do to get better? And how do I do it? And then actually to reach out for help. Um, whether it be another player, whether it be a coach, I need more specific coaching. And it actually eventually got me to a place where throughout my life, I always had three questions for a new coach or as I became a coach or a manager for my players, but three questions developed through the process of adversity for me. Number one, to look in that coach's eye that I was asking for help or that teammate's eye that I was asking for help and say, can I trust you? Mm. Can you make me better? And do you care about me? And I've used those three staples, those three questions. I used them the entire 45 years that I was in major league, or I should say professional baseball with over, you know, 30 of them, um, 
close to 30 of them, over 30 years in in the major leagues. So the adversity, absolutely what I needed. I I think to this day, the wonderful thing I continue to learn about God is I don't know what's best for me. Even at age Mm. 62 right now, there's Mm. days I don't know what's best for me. He does, always has. And he'll put me in those situations with those opportunities. They may look hard and, and difficult and I don't want them. Not raise my hand to get in that lane initially. However, once I work through them, you know, we become refined going through the fire. I'm better from it. I'm I'm better equipped. I'm more prepared. Plus, I can share that experience with somebody right. else. I think that's the biggest thing is that happens. Anytime we have adversity, whether it be physical, spiritual, professional, it gives us an opportunity to bond with somebody else and help them walk through their challenge. You know, so many parents that are, their kids are growing up, they're playing travel ball, they're in high school ball, trying to get them on to their career if, if they have a career in baseball. And, and I think sort of a, a common thing among young parents is protecting their kids from failure. They want them all to start. They want them all to uh, be on a team where they'll be the kid. What would you say to parents that are in that world now who little Johnny uh, it and it starting on his team, or they've got him in right field where he doesn't want to be. And the dad thinks he should be at shortstop. The mom and dad thinks he should be at shortstop or the high school team. The kid, the kid made JV. He didn't make varsity. And the parents are talking about moving schools so he can play on another school team. What would you say to a parent about that? You know, I, I, I try and get to know him enough where I can put my arm around him when I have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Or we can be seated at a table to look at each other for some real FaceTime. Um, and just ask them what were the greatest lessons they learned going through their youth or adversity. Mm, that's good. You know, the great thing about a lot of us in our generation, we didn't have those options. That's they right. weren't available. There wasn't another team to go to. <laughs> that's so Mom true. and dad didn't have enough money. To, <laughs> Mom and dad didn't have enough money to, to, to take us or transfer us or yep. give us another yep. option. Or our parents were worked of that mindset that this child, and I know it does happen at times, but you know, my child's Avenue is an athletic scholarship. And you know, it'd be nice if people thought as highly as academic scholarships, they do athletic scholarships, not where it's a meal ticket, not where it's a benefit, but help substantiate financial freedom for the family. If, if Johnny can get an athletic scholarship or a baseball scholarship, um, you need to do it in a loving way, preparation, presentation, timing of it. Mm. But to look him in the eye with some real talk is, number one, you're not a GM. And, and I think, unfortunately, there's many parents that have really good intentions. However, their actions don't match. Um, you know, they, they, they want to do what <laughs> they want to do what they think is right. Um, and they think is best for their son and many times those conversations aren't even had with the son or the daughter because the daughter may be good at you know being a role player right now the son may be good just being on a team and they're really you know this isn't my deal but i'm working my way into it and sometimes those parents want more um it's knowing the heartbeat of your child number one and then i think getting in a position where does anybody like to be told what to do really at the end of the day do you think these coaches, their number one priority is to turn every one of these kids into a college scholarship or a professional contract? Most of them are working. 
they're they're giving up their time. A lot of them are volunteering. Some of them, yeah, they may be getting paid for those programs. You know, that, that's another conversation. Mm. You're not the GM. And just because you've invested financially doesn't make you a GM and doesn't put you at the top of the decision-making process. I don't believe. That's my good. personal opinion. And to find a way, it's, at the end of the day, it's about trust. Mm. And what happens, a lot of these parents just don't trust the coaches. And maybe right. some coaches have given them reason not to trust. But we need to work together. It needs to be community. It's no more different than sending not your best nine players out there, but your nine best and how the, 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 the dugout club or the quarterback club works together with the coaches and the players to provide a safe place where there isn't anxiety or animosity or leveraging. I guess that's my two cents. That's so good. Actually, turned out it turned out to be a lot more than that. Well, that's but good. That's, that's, that's it's good though because everybody would say they were shaped by adversity, but yet, you know, I'm a parent. Gosh, my kids are 25 and 22 now, so they're out of that out of that world. But adversity is what makes you. And we, you know, it's so hard as a parent because you do want to protect them from it. Yet it is going to be the thing that shapes them into who God created them to be. How did you? How did your spiritual journey was that something big when you were going through the minor leagues and playing in the major leagues that your faith was always a role or did did what you go through and what you went through drive you towards your faith what would you say to that coach some of a combination of the two mike um i grew up in a family that my, my folks understood the importance of church because they used to send us off every sunday uh to bible bible school and church, my sisters and I, and I didn't know the beauty or the genius of it. I thought they were doing the right thing, and we would go, and we were plugging in. It was United Methodist Church, walking distance down the street. But it also gave them three or four hours of free time on Sunday because they were both working. Hmm. And this isn't about right or wrong. This is what they did to maintain balance in their personal lives. And I can remember walking out that door with a Bible in my hand and hearing the platters in the background said, okay, Daddy's on something. You know, him and mom were going to get to hang out. That was pretty cool. Um, eventually, I uh, moved on to another church that was up and coming in our area, First Baptist Church in Merritt Island. And I ran into some men that impacted me in a different way. Growing up in the world of sports, my dad was my coach for a long time, and I had other coaches that taught me, shaped me, molded me, um, sharpened me, um, some tough love along the way, um, but it was all sport-related. These two men asked me about my, my spirit, my soul, and mm -hmm. about me. They asked me different questions. They cared more about me as a person than as a player. For the, I knew my, my dad did. However, outside of that realm, everything sport-related was player-related, and it was a, a different method. It was a different technique, different execution, different play different purpose, but this was all about, you know about Jesus? Do you know the story of Jesus? Do you know there's, do you believe in heaven? You know, and, and in the Baptist church, they were real free with dropping that. If you die today, do you know where you're going? <laughs> that is so true. That's so true. And it got my, it got yep. my attention because mm -hmm. I said, well, I, I think I'm going to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. Well, how do you get there? Do you think it's by doing more good things than bad? 
And, and then they started spelling out the story of salvation, belief in Jesus Christ. Whereas, you know, the life, the death, the resurrection, and then putting him on the throne of your life and saying the sinner's prayer and walking through all these steps. I go, holy cow, I need to think about this. Well, I did. And I can remember going back a couple of weeks later and saying, man, this makes all the sense in the world. Not only was I carrying my Bible, I was reading it. Mm. I started highlighting and I started digging to cross-referencing scriptures. And it was there through uh, an SCA rally that I gave my life to Christ at the age of 17. You know, the angels sang and everybody clapped. And, you know, in heaven, as they say, everybody rejoices. Well, then the most uh, common thing for me happened. I used Jesus as an ATM card for 23 years. Wow. And I, I don't say that in any other way of being a transparent sinner and flawed man um, and not fully uh, grasping grace and mercy and unconditional love until much later in life. However, that continued adversity personally put me in places, got me into things. Uh, I love God gives us freedom of choice. What I didn't love was he doesn't give us the freedom to choose the consequences of the bad choices. Um, so I took myself in some bad situations and some bad areas, made some bad decisions. Um, two failed marriages, uh, which I was the common fabric in, um, an ongoing bout with alcohol. Um, I am a recovering alcoholic. I've got 21 years of sobriety underneath my belt. However, a playing career that was probably shortened and not as good as it could have been because of what I worshipped, what was most important to me. And then <laughs> I think the biggest walk away from me as time passed, I think back to that day, I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord. You know what? He never left. Mm, I did. Mm. Now, he never left. There was people he continued to put in front of me through those hard times that I continued to either push away or give that little Heisman move to. You know, I'm good, not now. Uh, the wonderful saying I learned to, to really be my, like my, my walk-up song was I got myself into this mess. I'll get myself out. That, that's just, I call backward genius. That's just wrong. You know, that's just wrong. <laughs> Small package in a yep. man in, in the world is a man wrapped up in himself. And I was yep. one of them. Mm. Um, so through the personal adversity, the professional adversity, I was able to embark on a brand new journey uh, around the age of 40. Uh, and it's been a 21, 22 year walk. My first 23 years, it was a Christian obstacle course. Wow. I didn't have a Christian walk. Um, I have developed a walk thanks to his grace and mercy and his loving kindness and his unconditional love that has become much more significant. Uh, it's, it's given me position and opportunity to provide influence and impact for others that are in rough spots to provide leadership on the field. Um, who would have thought I'd turn out to be a major league manager and managed 16 years in the, in the big leagues. I mean, that never crossed my mind for a long time. Uh, major league coach, uh, a father, uh, a husband again, married 20 years now with my bride, Carla, who was an angel sent to me right around that, that 40 year mark. Um, God loved me so much, he put her, her in a position in my life of, of significance and of influence. And 
We've had two children. I have an older daughter, Ashley, that's 34, that's now saved. Got to walk with Christ uh, three years into it. I got Maddie and Christian are growing up in a home, but I've never seen their father drink, and they'll see their father hit their knees mm. and pray. Um, so things have changed, and Jesus is the biggest influence. There's been other men in my life that have been pivotal, Kelly McGregor in Colorado, Dan O'Dowd. Um, I've got a group of men now that walk with me uh, throughout the month. Scott Whitaker, um, Nathan Whitaker, Scott Schrader in uh, Wisconsin, a friend of mine, and Rod Olson in Colorado, and Brad Henderson in Pittsburgh, kind of on my Mount Rushmore board of directors. <laughs> um, but he's continued to give me opportunity and blessing and, and service opportunities to, to walk with others, to encourage others, to be a hope broker, an arm lifter. Um, I actually used that term with, with our buddy Kevin Barella uh, in the text today. That, that, that's what I want. I want to be a hope broker. I want, I want to be a, an arm lifter. And I want to be somebody, when they look at him, they, they see, maybe not Jesus, but they see Jesus being his fuel. So. Well, that's good. That's I, 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 I love. No, that's so good, Coach, because you, you made a statement there, I think, so good. You talked about your your turning point at the age of 40 and you beginning that that journey, truly walking with Christ, setting your sights on him every day and walking with him. And you talked about your board of directors. You're the men that, that God put in your life. One of them, Rod Olson, I met just last year when I was speaking out in Denver. What an incredible guy. Um, what did that group, having that group of men around you, and through these years in different cities, different places that you've met them, what's it done for your spiritual journey not to be on this journey all by yourself? It's connection. It's relationship. We're met to meet and to have a connection. I think Jesus wants, to fall, wants us to fall in love with him. He wants our heart. For me, most importantly, he wants our heart. Because what won't you do for somebody you love? Mm. Uh, what won't you do for something you love? You know, um, and if he's the object of your affection, things are turn out a whole lot better than, you know, I love cars. My life's wrapped around cars. And I know there's people that are there, but it can't be your number one attraction. Um, anything other than Jesus being your number one attraction is a form of idolatry, I believe. Mm. Um, these men are like-minded men, cut from the same cloth. We've all dealt with adversity. We fail. Uh, we're, we still have days where just because I have a bad day doesn't mean I have a bad life. Just because I have a hard day doesn't mean I have a hard life. It's an opportunity to bounce back when we have setbacks. It's an ability to, re to rely upon each other, to relate with one another, to encourage one another. And I've got women that God's put in my life at the same time um, that have, <laughs> I mean, outside of Carla, that significantly impacted me at, at points in times when I was going through a desert. Um, you know, I was fired at the end of the season. You know, that's never a cause for celebration. Mm. The balloons don't go up. The trumpets don't play. The band doesn't come walk by you when you're fired. I've been fired three times. And there were some significant people that reached out to me in very meaningful ways. And two of them uh, were women. And they mentioned the word freedom. Mm. Thank God and praise God for the newfound freedom you're going to have the opportunity to embrace and enjoy. And wow. I didn't understand that. And I talked to them. 
they shared what they meant by it. You know what? I had a lot of things spinning at the end of the season. I've had a lot of people call. There was no opportunities to manage how there were were however opportunities to stay in uniform. I've been in uniform for 45 years. The spring training 2020 is the first year I've not been in uniform in 45 years since the age of 17. Wow. So praying for opportunity, praying for direction, praying for clarity, doors to open, doors to close, all of that. At the end of the day, what's been peeled back to me is my biggest ministry. Because my prayer was to impact and influence. Um, Lord, put me in a position to impact and influence. Best where I can get best served. You know, there's a little guy in my head that's still caught up in leadership. And that's a word that I do struggle with at times because nobody talks about servantship as much. There's not seminars for serving. There's seminars for leading. Um, and I get the leadership, but how important it is. However, I have to step back because I've been in leadership for a long time, frontline leadership. And as my conversations continued with that group of men, with a group of women, my prayer life, you know where I decided I needed the land? Right here at home. Mm. My biggest ministry. Um, I can remember coming back with my wife, three different opportunities to get back in uniform, talking them all through. And her conversation was, Carla would say, well, you need to, or you need to. And after about the third you, I looked and said, I know what I need. Because <laughs> he keeps saying you, it's not we. Mm. And she would adjust, adapt, improvise, overcome. She's held this family together. She stood in the gap. I just looked in her eyes and I've been traveling for a long time. Not that I couldn't continue, but I don't need to continue. I need to be home. Yeah. I need to be here. And isn't this a whole different dynamic, Mike? Because I haven't been in front of my family for 88, 77 consecutive days ever. We went through that period this winter. So I've learned to create space, share space, give space. Um, when to be quiet. I'm learning to lead from the side. Mm. I'm learning to lead from behind. And the analogy I'm using with my group of people, and you included now, is if we are a band, if my family is a band, I want to be the bass player. Mm. I want to be the guy on the side keeping rhythm and timing. My wife can be the, the lead singer. My son can be the lead guitarist. My daughter, Maddie, can do the drums. Ashley, when she's in town, she can back up. But whatever it is, I just need to get over here. That's good. And give them some space. Um, and maybe be a, a silent, a, a small voice, quiet voice GPS. Just with reminders. They do it when I'm gone. I mean, eight months of the year, <laughs> I'm gone half the year. So I need to come back here and be large and in charge and take, no, 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 no. So I'm learning still today, wonderful lessons of service. Um, and yes, leadership servant leadership probably is just as important to me as anything else going on in my life right now. You know, if I had caught you spring training 2019 and ask you this question, is your identity wrapped up in baseball I don't know if any of us know what the answer would have been, but as you look back now in 2020, after you've walked through the year that you've walked through, did, looking back now, do you feel like a lot of your identity had gotten wrapped up in uniform, player, manager, 
That's what I do. That's who I am. What would you say to that coach? I would say I've learned over the course of time. That is not who I am. That is mm. what I do. Uh, I learned it the hard way because there was a point in time that that's who I was and I need to show up and I, I'm in a position of leadership and I need to be out front and I need to make decisions and I need to, to be uh, demanding and I need to be, you know, my term is, is authoritative. People call it loud. Other people call it loud. Um, people that love me and have loved me, <laughs> that uniform had nothing to do with them loving me. Mm. And Carla was the most important person. I, I probably came into that. I realized that from as well as those two pastors back at the First Baptist Church in Merritt Island. Brother Johnny Paul and Pastor Len Turner, Carla loved me uh, for me. Mm. And she met me at a time I was done playing. I was managing the minor leagues. This wasn't no big deal. Yep. You know, I probably still thought it was a big deal. I wasn't a big deal. From where I'd been to where I'd gotten to, it kind of gone full cycle from top to bottom of of a uh, you know a career at the low point of a career, working your way back up. Well, she was able to witness a man growing up professionally, but most importantly professionally. I mean personally as well as professionally. I go from being a minor league manager to a hitting coordinator to a major league hitting coach for Don Baylor. Who would have thought that one? And then do that for five years and work for Buddy Bell and Jimmy Leland, and then ask the manager club late April 2002 to be a major league manager, one of 30 in the world. Um, and then we're living our life. We have a daughter the same year that's born with special needs with a birth defect. Madison, Mad Maddie Riley, our 17-year-old, was born with a birth defect called Cotter Willie Syndrome. You know, I never thought that becoming a Christian was going to, you know, be all giggles and high fives the whole way through. There's a part of me that thought everything should be better all the time, which I got to learn that, you know, speed of life, speed of life. Yep. What I have now is a GPS, a North Star, a personal relationship uh, with, with Jesus that's going to help me work through it all with the help from others. And, and with him, knowing that if I stay focused on him and service to him and maintain the relationship with him, all things are going to work for good. And, you know, as our first child, and then you struggle with them. Do you want to have another one? Holy cow, this mm -hmm. is a lot. And then we have another child and a boy's born. And I have, I have a son, Christian, he's 15. Um, want to hear a funny one, Mike? Christian yeah. played ball his first year at the age of four, T-ball. Now, you can imagine growing up, maybe, uh, the pressure that might come with being a major league manager's son. Well, after the first year of T-ball at the age of four, which is really nothing more than hurting cats, no disrespect to the coaches <laughs> that have four because they got to do a lot. But he, I looked at him at the end, and I got fired that year, so I actually got to go watch and hang out. At the end of the year, I asked him, what do you got, buddy? He looks me right in the eyes, four years old, and says, Dad, way too intense, I'm out. Really? And he's been a man, he's been a man of his word, Mike. He's not gone back. He goes to the park. He went to the park with me years after year after year, and he'd go hang out with trainers, clubbies, uh, the chef in the in the food room, <laughs> hang clothes, polish shoes, go to the video room. He helped out everywhere else. He was a servant. Didn't want to play. There's no playing catch. There's no hitting in the cage. I'd say, hey, buddy, you want to go out in the field? Dad looks like a nice day. Why don't you go out there and enjoy it? That's what you love to do. I'm going to stay in here with the guys and do this, that, and the other thing. So, um. How cool is that? Good for him. That God put my son in my life to help me understand about other things. 
he did, he's done karate. He's done tennis. Right now he's involved in crew, rowing a boat, the cohesion, a team sport, his first one, what, what all that entails. He scoops ice cream two times a day at a local ice cream shop here and loves it. Uh, my daughter, Maddie, having a special needs child, deal, dealing with the challenges that, that, that come with just her living life on some of an unlevel playing field at times. Mm-hmm. And the people that love her and give to her, not because her daddy's a manager, when he was, because he's not anymore. And they're still giving and still loving on her, still helping her, um, but learning from her. And truthfully, learning from Ashley, my other daughter, who went through some challenges that, that a lot of kids go through trying to make their own way under the umbrella of a father who was successful or whatever. And now she's living her best life professionally and spiritually. I just spent four days in Plano, Texas with her a couple weeks ago, time that we were just able to sit down and get in front of each other. Mm. Um, the lessons I'm learning from my kids, uh, from my wife, it's all part of God's perfect plan on continuing to shape, mold, and sharpen me. Um, and I'm thankful and grateful for that. But I, I realize now more than ever that the uniform, I could have stayed in the uniform. That's how comfortable and convicted I felt in God's next for me. I still don't know what, I do know what next is. It's to be right here, right now, be where my feet are. Yeah. Other than that, I don't need to know anymore. But the uniform thing, it was no, it was not a excruciatingly tough decision. But once I got home to look at my wife, I said, no one, I'm going to sign a lifetime contract with the home team. I'm putting the pants in the closet. If baseball's got something for me, it'll be in a different venue than the one I've been in. If it's out of the game, God's got something for me there. I'm good with that. You know, just use me. Lord, just just use me. Um, and right now, he's made it very evident that he is using me. And I'm being used right where I need to be uh, with my three children uh, and with my, with my wife, Carl. Coach, I love that. That is so good. And that is that is such an incredible place. Years from now, you're going to look back and go, God, thank you for getting me here. Because this year and this time, this season is going to be used in huge ways, you know, in their life and, and in your life as well. Why do you why do you think God created Clint Hurdle? What do you think was the purpose and the why he created you for? What would you say? Well, number one, to have the personal relationship with him. Mm-hmm. To to understand unconditional love. And I've learned that through him, the race of heaven. I also learned it through having a special needs child because I can tell you transparently, and I wouldn't be the transparent person I am now without Christ in my life. I'm a flawed man. Um, I have learned over time that when in positions of former leadership that I was in, the best attraction to the group I was in front of at the time was to share my failures, not my successes. People can identify with failure, all of us. I cannot identify with Andrew McCutcheon's gold gloves, all-star game selections, silver bats. I could identify with the 0 for 32. You know, and that's when we had our best conversations. Usually we grew closer when he was going through adversity because I could identify with that. The other stuff I just had to say, hey, Andrew, I got nothing for you there. That wasn't my career. I played with guys like you, man. I just... God bless you. It's awesome to watch, but you'll have a bigger opportunity to witness when you're going through adversity than when you're going through success. And you, you share that with him whenever it was appropriate. 
but, but the humility part of it, humility is a strength. Servants, service to others is a strength. And I think he put me here to provide shared experiences with others that, that get in the lane that I've been through. You know, divorce is not good. It's never God's plan. Why did it happen? You know, and acknowledge it when you're going through it. What can you do to do better? What can you do to be the best person you can be if you get another opportunity? I have that ministry. I have the ministry of fatherhood, of parenting. I have the ministry of sport with all the players. One of the best feelings I used to get is my players would come and we talk about anything. Because when I played, Mike, when you went in the manager's office, you either got sent down or yelled at. There really That's wasn't right. a whole lot of between. And I'd get guys coming in, they'd be sharing, you know, Jordy Mercy. Hey, it was my boy Maverick did last week. Andrew, he just having a, he went from, with so many of my guys, it went from girlfriend to wife to kids. Mm. I got to watch it all take place. And not all of them are Christians, because I loved them all. But to watch them grow and develop and to have the trust and have a relationship where they can come in that office and talk to you about anything. And what really got cool is when they come and say, hey, Clint, you know, are you okay? Are you struggling here? Or you said something the other day made no sense. Help me out with this. Or, you know what? Skip, you're taking this a little too hard. You're wearing it. You know, you tell us to shower well and show up better the next day. Show up. I can't tell whether we won or lost. That's not happening. When you can develop people that are in your life or in the lives of others that will tell people what they need to hear with empathy, with compassion, not what they want to hear. Mm. That's when relationships flourish and that's when community gets better. Um, so my purpose here, number one, you know, it's the relationship with him. And then it's to develop this relationship with Carla. Um, I'm his child first, I'm her husband. We've become best friends. We weren't best friends when we got married. I wish I could tell you, oh, yeah, no. We were good friends. We loved each other. Now living together like we have this whole winter, we've learned how to like each other. <laughs> and we've been best friends for a number of years, and it's pretty cool. Uh, my best friend isn't somebody down the block or somebody I have coffee with once a week or three guys, you know, whether I play cards or fish or go to concert. No. No. Um, and then to now have an opportunity to be more involved in the, the development and the guidance of these children. Um, and one of them is 34. That's, you know, Ashley will come to me with challenges. And I'll say, hey, let me tell you what I was doing at 34. It wasn't pretty. So not that comparative self-denial <laughs> denial is a good strength, but you're better off than I was. You're in a better place than I was. Never lose hope. You know, today can be a, a new day for a fresh start for a new thing. Uh, again, I think, and I'm whining this, really running it out too much, but I go back to being a hope broker, an arm lifter. That's what God's got me here for. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Coach Hurdle. What a great guy. I tell you what, I've watched him on TV all these years and, of course, seen him manage and watched him play. And it's just one of those great things when you find out the story behind the story. And there is a lot to Clint Hurdle's life. Coach Hurdle, thanks for sharing with us. Thanks for the daily text I get from you with that challenge to make a difference. You are, my friend, 
making a difference, and I know I'm better for it. In our next episode of Lynch with a Leader, episode 74, it's going to be a good one. It's going to release Easter week on Monday of Easter week. We get to sit down with author of the great book that's changed millions of lives through copy, through story, through movie. We get to sit down with Lee Strobel. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed my conversation with Lee Strobel. Fascinating man, brilliant mind, but a heart that is huge. And it is going to be something I think is going to bless you too. So tune in next week. Make sure and share this podcast with a friend. Feel free and share it on social media. Leave us a review because it really does help us. Thanks again for tuning in today. And until we meet again next week, go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.